Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears. A proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATV. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one, one chapter, chapter at, at a time. This episode of The Read Along is brought to you by TELUS World of Science, Edmonton, home of the Canadian debut of Marvel Universe of Superheroes. The exhibition runs until February 17th. Edmonton is the first and so far only Canadian city to host it. Here's curator Ben Saunders with more. What we have here is material from the comic book universe and from the cinematic and television universes, often framed and displayed in ways that offset the relationship between the different forms of media. We've really tried to do a deep dive into comic book history, the creation of the books to pay tribute to the creators as well as the characters. And there really should be something here for every generation of fan and hardcore fans will be, I think, staggered by what we found. 2019 marks the 80th anniversary of Marvel. You can buy your tickets right now at tellusworldofscienceedmonton.ca. That's tellusworldofscienceedmonton.ca. So uh, a little preamble up front, just to let you know, both Anita and I are a little under the weather. It's just that time of year. Scott is coming down from a cold. I am going up, for going a up with a cold. Uh Yay. Yay. I think we got that backwards. But it, either way, um, we have a toddler. We live in a northern city, and this is cold season. So uh, if we sound a little scratchy, uh, our, our apologies. That's it's okay, just though. how it goes. I have tea. So with that said, uh, chapter two of our novel uh, had us get to meet Henry Thompson's new partner. Owen. Owen, the local supercomputer. So your friendly neighborhood supercomputer AI interface who drinks who drinks uh, and has some interesting personality quirks that are sure adorable and that Henry Thompson considers to be potentially a liability horribly annoying having met they boarded a plane and flew to Metropolis and as they land on the tarmac we land in chapter three of the municipalists by Seth Freed So we kind of get our first description of Metropolis in this chapter, kind of off the top. Yeah. It's um, it's not a well-planned urban design, despite the fact that it is considered to be like the city of tomorrow. Well, because it wasn't built all at once, was it? N- no, it's very much a haphazard mishmash of contrasting and clashing choices. It is very much the every city because it seems to incorporate aspects of every city. Yes, every every time frame, right? Every major trend in architecture. Yeah. Um a little bit of everything. It's mentioned Metropolis has been around since the nineteen fifties as well. So my guess is we're dealing with a bit of an alternate timeline here. Yeah, probably. Where this mega city began to uh emerge earlier in the timeline than than we have experienced. Unless Something comes along a little later to explain that it grew out of an existing city in the 
ensuing years, but we, we haven't seen that yet. The city itself is also a mishmash of kind of cultures and amenities. There are just thousands of businesses catering to very specific niches, and that's kind of how the city thrives in a way. Yeah, I got the impression that it went from really generic to incredibly niche. Like, yeah. you can find anything. You, you can find a club to any possible taste. Uh, one yeah. of them that is described in the book is literally post-apocalyptic cabaret. I don't even know what that is. Yeah. And I mean, cuisine, the same thing. It's just, it's all of these very niche markets, but there's so many people in such a dense environment that you have customers for it. Yeah. You're going to find something for you and you're going to be able to provide something for someone. Yeah. Metropolis City feels like the uh, quintessential definition of a melting pot. Yeah. And uh, it's a place where you can live how you want to live, shop how you want to shop, and kind of eat how you want to eat. There's there's something there for you. Yeah, exactly. There's uh, also a line dropped here in the um, description of the city about its social programs mm -hmm. and that they were aggressively expanded by uh, Kirkland, yep. the head of the local Usmus section, uh, in recent years. And that kind of jumped out at me, actually, because previously it was mentioned that he was involved in a relationship, a somewhat scandalous relationship, with Sarah Laurie, the... Uh, the mayor's daughter. Mayor's young daughter. And it sounds like she had a bit of a kind of a radical liberal bent. And so I'm curious if this was her influence on him or if this was something that maybe attracted her to him. I think that there's... I think this line is not an accident. I think that it's important. Yeah, you think there's something to that. Yeah. Okay. Could be. I, I certainly can't tell you you're wrong. There's also something else that kind of is expanded on here. Earlier on, it had been mentioned that uh, the loss of Kirkland is a blow to Usmus. And we, Oh, yeah. He was really good at his job. And we get a little more of that here. Uh, because Kirkland had developed his own kind of Usmus culture in his section and had built his own team and had isolated himself somewhat from the rest of the agency, his loss is putting Usmus in a situation where they literally don't know how to administer the city because he was so isolated from the rest of it that he knew how to run it. No one else really does. And that's put Usmus on the back foot when it comes to Metropolis. They this is this is a huge setback for the agency, and it's kind of a setback for the city, as well. Based on how the rest of the chapter goes, I wonder if that wasn't uh, by design. Oh, it almost certainly was by design. But he, he's from he's purposely isolating yes, Metropolis. He's turned Metropolis into yeah. his own little kingdom. Well, yeah, not and not just because that's how he that's how he rolls. Right? But, like, on purpose. Yeah, it's it's pretty clear. I mean, we're, we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves here. But it's very clear that, at least at the moment, the text is pointing very heavily at Kirkland being the bad actor in the events that are going on Indeed. Right Though, this is still early days. and oh, that is wild speculation. Other really. shoes may yet drop. We, we might even have an accusing uh, parlor to get to in the near future. But we'll, we'll see how things roll. We also get a little more clarification on something else Thompson sort of mentioned last chapter, and that is he explicitly states that he intends to ditch Owen the first chance he gets, and indeed does so in this chapter. Yeah. But before he has an opportunity to do that, he does ask Owen for whatever information he has on the Metropolis station, in the, in the hopes to at least get what useful info he can from Owen before he leaves him behind. And Owen confirms that the Metropolis Station has been acting weird for a while. 
up to and including a recent order for a huge amount of nitric acid. And Owen's like, and y'all were surprised that the building sank into a hole in the ground. <laughs> right. And all but states right off that he suspects that Kirkland is behind the destruction of the Usmus office locally, that he and his team purposefully destroyed it. Yeah. And Thompson is immediately skeptical. Of course, because Thompson doesn't like Owen on its surface. Yes. He doesn't like him. No, he doesn't. And he's a little suspicious of Owen's faculties because he's, what, seven drinks, quote unquote, <laughs> deep at this yes. point. But Thompson is also skeptical, I feel, because it flies in the face of his own experience with the agency. He is a loyal company man. And the idea that someone within the agency could be working against the interests of the agency is so completely antithetical to his own ethos that I, I can't help but feel that his knee-jerk reaction is like, it can't possibly be treason. Who would be a traitor to Usmus? And why? It's just shocking to him. It's so shocking and off-putting that he just immediately refuses to believe it. It pleases me a great deal because that is my like fourth note <laughs> in this about this chapter. It's the exact same thing is that Thompson just cannot fathom that that someone would turn against the the agency. Like up to the point where he's in physical danger from rogue agents mm -hmm. in this chapter, and he's still like, "What is happening? This can't be." Indeed, like clearly there has been a misunderstanding, oh, sirs. Yeah, and the fact that Owen keeps harping on the fact that he believes that there is something wrong, that yes, yeah. this is what happened. I have evidence to the contrary, even though I researched it myself and no one told me to do it, which is what I found very impressive about Owen. Um, yeah, just the fact that someone would turn traitor, just he, he can't, he just can't fathom it. Well, Owen also uh, points out that this is not just, th th while this is a weakness for Thompson, certainly through this chapter, it's also an asset for Garrett. And Owen basically says, like, this, there's a reason Garrett picked you for this job. He could not, there was no one in Metropolis that he could contact because the entire station went dark. But more than that, Owen suggesting that there's suspicion that Kirkland might have other loyal people in Usmus. Yes. And the one person Garrett can absolutely trust, without question, is Henry Thompson. Yes. He is the guy whose loyalty is just completely beyond reproach. Oh, yeah. Unquestionable. Yeah. And that's why Garrett turned to him. Even though he was unsuited to the job, he was the only person that could be trusted to investigate it. Yeah. And hopefully not end up dead, which is... Which is why he sent along Owen. To protect him and to help him. Yeah. The problem is uh, Owen and Thompson are butting heads so hard right now. Well, at least right now where we are in the chapter. So, Let's continue on. Yeah, despite the fact that Thompson is skeptical of Owen, Owen continues to kind of lay out his thesis here. Um, he mentions that since becoming sapient, he ran an independent audit of Kirkland Station and discovered about $400 million in discrepancies. That's a lot. So Kirkland has been either stealing from us, miss, or he's been hiding secret expenditures. And it certainly looks like he's been hiding secret expenditures. Thompson continues to kind of like poo-poo this, so Owen tries to impress him by... Uh, extrapolating Thompson's personal life by just looking at his travel expenditures up to and including uh, guessing that Thompson's parents are dead and is oblivious to the fact that it's obviously a hurtful thing to be proud of guessing. He's trying to impress him by showing off how smart he is and all he's doing is insulting Kinda, Thompson yeah. and like, oh, bad at people. 
Or bad at this particular person, anyway. Yeah. So Owen's theory, essentially, is Kirkland is behind everything. He's up to no good. His team has gone rogue. And he runs this town. And because of that, he could have eyes everywhere or anywhere. Yep. And Owen, before they even get off the plane, is like, we need to... We need to disguise ourselves, my guy. Like, I'll pretend to be your dog. You'll be a muscly redhead. And we will get off this plane and no one will know it's us. And Thompson is like, you are an idiot. You're paranoid. And we will do no such thing. And Owen is legitimately, like, off-put and hurt by this. See, the thing is, at this point in the chapter, we don't yet know that Owen is right. That Owen is a thousand percent correct. And because the chapter is written from Thompson's perspective, Owen just comes off as paranoid. Like, he really does. And a little scatterbrain. Because we're in Thompson's head, that's that's sort of the baseline we've been given, is like, okay, you are paranoid. No one is coming after us. We, we are just not, got here. Yeah, this isn't James Bond. Like, it's fine. It's fine. You're overreacting. Let's just go. Yeah. So they head out of the airport and immediately are approached by a guy offering them shuttle service. And Owen both uh, tells him off and loudly tells him that they're planning to head to Pennsylvania and then pulls him aside to a self-driving cab. (laughs) Thompson is like, what is going on? And Owen doesn't even trust the self-driving cab enough to give it a final destination. Yeah, no, it just gives him directions. A couple streets at a time. Yeah. Turn here. Drive for two blocks. Moreover, it's at this moment that Thompson realizes that Owen has arranged all of their accommodations, and he has no idea where they're going. Yeah. So this is still in the Owen is paranoid phase of things. Yeah. And Owen Owen takes them to what I have noted as the scariest Airbnb possible. (laughs) Yeah. I I actually had also made a note calling it an Airbnb at one point. basically what it is and it's just terrifying well owen mentions he did not find it on that internet no he found it on the other internet yeah which is why it's the scariest airbnb ever uh and it is a uh basically it's a safe house for illegal immigrants run by a woman who speaks mandarin owen also naturally speaks mandarin of course he does owen kind of lays out that he's very certain that they're in they're in danger here and he's more than that convinced that they've been observed on their way here, despite his best efforts. Yeah, that someone was following their cab. Um, and, and even pulls up a satellite image of, like, there's a drone that's been watching us. And Thompson's like, that's weird because all of our drones crashed, so it couldn't be an agency drone. And Owen's like, there were backup drones, but I'm fairly confident they've been suborned and that they're no longer agency drones, per yeah, se. this is not our equipment anymore. And that is definitely one of them, and it was definitely watching us. And Thompson's like, you know what? I've had enough. I'm in a scary closet. <laughs> on the second floor of a Chinese noodle restaurant. I'm with a crazy, paranoid artificial intelligence who has insulted me. Yeah. And you know what? I'm going to go check myself into a nice hotel. I'm going to go check out the train museum. And then I'm going to go find Sewer Bro Biggs. And do this the way I think it should and, be done. And do this the proper agency way. Yes. The usmus way. Yes. And he pulls off the tie clip and drops it into the underwear drawer. And... It's around this time that a commotion begins downstairs. Yep. Uh, but he's ignoring it up until the f- the point where he gets downstairs to discover the landlady trying to prevent the door from being broken in. And she bolts the moment the axe comes through the door. Yes, and, as I would too. Um, and Thompson, to uh, no credit of his own, stands there oblivious to the obvious danger he's in like a total idiot. <laughs> 
again, he cannot fathom that this is happening to him. So he doesn't know what to do. Well, and he doesn't understand what's going on at first until really the door comes crashing down and two rogue Usmus agents dressed in matching black suits with no fedoras are standing there with an axe having just broken down the door. Yep. Uh, and wouldn't you know it, one of them is sewage bro Stuart Biggs. Uh-huh. Yeah, which means that Kirkland has turned him because that was Garrett's inside man. Yep. And then they immediately attempt to murder Thompson. With an axe. With apologies. They're very polite about it. It's nothing personal. Thompson manages to escape upstairs, uh, does not even think to get Owen's help, and immediately tries to activate his brand new cell phone to call for assistance. Oh my god. And it takes so comically long to activate that the bad guys, who are taking their sweet time coming up the stairs meandering up the stairs having a casual conversation catch up to him and pull him out from under the bed and break the phone like it probably takes them four minutes to get upstairs oh probably and thompson is still fumbling with the phone at that moment like he is so utterly inept at this job that he thinks he can do according to the book (laughs) that yeah it's it was just silly and comical yeah you're right teddy the uh main goon the scary blonde guy. Yeah, he uh, breaks the phone, and then the only thing Thompson can think of to do in this moment is to kick him in the crotch. Well, and it doesn't Teddy have him like up by his neck? Yeah, didn't he like pick him up by the scruff? And Biggs is legit outraged by this. Like, how dare you? How <laughs> dare you do that? You are, you are fighting dirty, sir. Yeah, despite the fact they were literally about to murder him. No, nah, with an axe. Yeah, there's. There's something wrong with Biggs and Teddy in this chapter. And they're acting real strange. Right? Teddy goes to kind of tough it out, casually disarms Thompson, who picked up the axe to defend himself, and goes to murder him again. So Thompson so bad at this job. kicks him in the nuts a second time. So Biggs finally grabs Henry and throws him into the bureau, and that at last frees Owen to act. <laughs> He's freed from the dirty underwear drawer. Yeah, smartly Owen appears... In the door, as though he just ran in to help. And he's armed with a katana, (laughs) tells the rogue agents to give up. And to their credit, they don't fight him in this moment. They're like, okay, we're clearly outmatched here. And they surrender. (laughs) This guy has a sword. Yeah, Owen tells Thompson to tie them up. I can't tell if he's good at his job or bad at his job. Yeah, it's around this time that they note that the agents have burned off their (laughs) fingerprints. And later on, we find out that their perfect white teeth... Which, yeah, I I noticed that he kept drawing attention to their perfect white teeth. Was because they're wearing dentures, which means they also can't be identified dentally. Right. So they're basically invisible agents. At the moment, yeah. They're also very unhelpful. So Owen is like, you know what, Thompson, we're, we're in danger here, obviously, because we were immediately tracked here, despite my best efforts. So grab your things, grab Biggs, let's get in their car and take off so we can interrogate him. And Thompson is like, we should call the police. And Owen holds firm that he's not going to take orders from someone who treats him poorly. (laughs) Yeah. So he's a supercomputer, crazy advanced AI who's a little sensitive. And whose feelings were hurt. Yeah. Who has the feels. To be fair, he also mentions that the owner of the safe house also called 911 seven minutes earlier, and the police are probably on their way. And he kind of implies through this chapter a few times that the police can't be trusted. And that makes sense. If Kirkland It does ha- now. If Kirkland has gone rogue and he has influence in the city, the police may be suborned. 
Uh, it's also worth mentioning the scene doesn't look good for Thompson and Owen. Yeah. So maybe running is, in fact, the best option. Thompson is also continuously showing just how dangerously naive he is in this situation. Oh, and Owen is losing patience with him. They take the rogue agent's car. And uh, they make their way to an abandoned parking lot, which Thompson won't break into until Owen agrees to help pay for the damages. <laughs> and then they uh, prep to interrogate Biggs. And Thompson is once again so completely out of his element as to make it, like, farcical. Oh, yeah. Um, Owen, has to, <laughs> Owen has to create a demonstration. Like, he, he gives him a 3D, like, <laughs> he basically throws up a PowerPoint a 3D PowerPoint for him, teaching him how to make a fist and punch somebody. Yeah. That is and how that is how meek and mild Mr. Thompson is. Uh, again, lifelong bureaucrat and a very good one. Um, weirdly, he finds it surprisingly helpful. <laughs> <laughs> um, Thompson then also asks about the katana. Like, what's up with the sword? And Owen's like, oh, well, I am a Akira Kurosawa fan. And the katana is such an elegant weapon. And Thompson's like, have you maybe seen The Magnificent Seven? And Owen clues in. He's like, oh, God, of course. That's much scarier. Yeah. So then he creates, like, an antique revolver. Yeah, like a like an old Western <laughs> yeah, six-shooter. Yeah, like old six-shooter. And I'm like, ugh. Even Thompson's like, ugh. <laughs> like, they're both so bad at this. Owen also takes this moment to mention that while he was locked in the underwear drawer, he read 80,000 self-help books online and now understands that communication is the foundation of a good relationship and he's pleased that they're communicating. <laughs> he's he's trying to give he's trying to give Henry um positive feedback. Like, yeah, good punch, buddy. Way to go. I appreciate that you are trusting me with this. Yeah, this time it's it's Thompson who kind of needs to pull Owen back to the task at hand. Like, we should, we should be interrogating this guy now. <laughs> There's this guy in front of us that we I've should, just punched. Could we talk later? And Owen's like, I would like that, yes. Yes, that would be fantastic. So they pull out a strangely placid Biggs from the trunk. And they begin interrogating him. And I, I did love Owen's attempt at good copping here. <laughs> my, my friend Henry just learned how to punch and he's very excited <laughs> to test it out. But if you cooperate... I will make sure that he does not do that. <laughs> it's, it's Oh, it's very funny. Thompson, to his credit, sees that the interrogation is immediately getting off on the wrong foot. <laughs> <laughs> and is already worried he may indeed have to punch someone, and moments later does indeed have to punch someone. And very clinically assesses his form and attempt, and actually feels pretty good about it. Yeah. He's like, no, I, I feel that was a very good punch. <laughs> No, For a first good. punch, that went very well. Yeah, feel good about it, yeah. Um, Your instructions were very helpful. Yeah, he succeeds really in only knocking out all of Biggs's teeth. And this is the point where we learn that They're he's dentures. wearing dentures. Yeah. Um, and then rather than answer any questions, Biggs instead headbutts Thompson and promptly jumps off the parkade headfirst. Yeah. Yeah. Owen is perplexed. Uh, Thompson is horrified. Anita is confused. Um, Biggs was also speaking in Esperanto, a clue. Yes. Because the uh, terrorist message was in Esperanto. Oh, so I looked it up uh, the, earlier when Teddy was uh, swift kicked in the junk. Mm -hmm. um, Biggs was telling him to breathe in Esperanto. Spiru. Spiru. I'm not sure how you say it. Yeah. It's it's spelled Spiru. Yeah. And of, co of course, Owen also speaks Esperanto. Yeah. So, uh... I'm pretty sure Esperanto is going to be a running thread for us. Google Translate will be my friend. Indeed. 
Owen, at this juncture, suggests that they maybe leave before the police show up, unless they have a very good explanation for why they just drove a man to an abandoned parkade, and then he mysteriously fell to his death from that parkade. The situation continues to not look good in front of the police. Yeah, Thompson mentions, like, Sewage Bro was our only lead, and Owen's like, listen, my friend, I got you. We, I've got leads for days. Like, Biggs was your only lead. We've got this. <laughs> Trust me. So they grab Biggs' briefcase, and then they burn down the car. And that's <laughs> yep. more or less where an eventful chapter kind of wraps up. Yeah. So I had two thoughts on this by the end of the chapter. Yep. The first one was, so that like foot-thick file that Garrett had mm-hmm. on Biggs mm-hmm. is probably full of unreliable information. Mm, is it? I don't know. Did Biggs get suborned instantly or did it happen over time? I don't know. We also don't know how this subordination occurred. Well, if we don't know when, though, at what point do you not trust the file anymore? Yeah. And I mean... I would argue you can't trust anything at all. And both Teddy and Biggs are acting super weird. And so... Super weird. Like, to the point where I was like, there's... It's got to be some kind of mind control, right? Maybe. Like, they're not, they don't appear to be acting human. They're acting human, but they're acting awkward human. Yeah. Like, they're acting, right? they're acting like aliens dressed up in human suits who kind don't of. quite know how to function. Right. The thing that it kind of reminded me of, it may or may not have clicked for you too, because they're both dressed in black suits, unlike the, the navy blue traditional Usma suit. They've burned off their fingerprints. They have no identifying dental records and they're acting strange. It made me think of traditional men in black. Oh, yeah, okay. That's what it kind of rang for me. I didn't go quite that far, but yeah, I, I can see this red. Yeah. Yeah, that that's just kind of what it, it rang to me. The early days here are definitely, as I mentioned earlier, pointing at Kirkland as the bad actor. That he's gone rogue, mm-hmm. he's taken his entire loyal branch with him, and he's behind the attack on Usmus, and he's up to something. And the attack on Usmus was probably to distract from whatever he's up to. Possibly. That's, again, what it looks like. Yeah. But is that the case? We've read enough books to know that what it looks like at first is probably wrong. Well, and we still don't know how Sarah Laurie fits into this because she disappeared with Kirkland. Yeah. And she's definitely wrapped up. She, like, she's important because she keeps coming up. I know. We're also only three chapters in. Yeah. So my second thought by the end of this chapter was that escalated a very quickly. Yeah, more quickly even than I think mm-hmm. Owen was prepared for. And Owen oh, came into this chapter prepared for a lot. Yeah, he came into this chapter super paranoid. Yeah. Turns and, uh, out he was right. He was 100% right. And then uh, everything went totally sideways. He took him to a hole-in-the-wall safe house that he found on the dark web, and they were found two minutes later. Yep. Like, that is how quickly they were cornered yep. by Kirkland's agents. And... So maybe Owen was correct that they should have disguised themselves getting off the plane. I was just going to say, in Owen's defense, Thompson was being very uncooperative with his paranoid plan. Yeah. And Thompson is lucky that Owen managed to get knocked out of that drawer. He'd probably be dead. Quite possibly. Either axed or thrown in the river. Well, he's completely completely ineffectual at self-defense. Well, no, he's slightly more effectual now because he has learned how to throw a punch. Yeah, because of Owen. Yeah. Again, without without Owen falling out of the underwear drawer, I sentence never thought I'd say. <laughs> he he would be dead because his he was trying to set up a cell phone 
instead of running for his life. Because he's a bureaucrat and in a life or death situation, an idiot. Yeah, bad at this. But hopefully he will learn. Maybe he will get better. And learn also to trust Owen's paranoia. Well, Owen is basically made of light, so that makes that makes Thompson the heavy in this situation. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So how could that go wrong? Uh, well. It could go wrong all of the ways. Yes, it could. And we'll have to that wait is, that and see. That is the answer to that question. Um, we'll continue to see how things go for them and how their investigation unfolds as we move into chapter four, which you want to read up for next week. Indeed. I look forward to the bumbling antics to come. As you get ready to uh, read that chapter, you might also consider supporting some of the people who support us here at the Alberta Podcast Network. Creative minds need creative banking. That's why ATB created the branch for arts and culture. A branch that understands artists don't live by the rules of standard pay schedules. So you can be creative and not have to worry about your checking account. It's a creative space for creative professionals and just one more way ATB will always be more than a bank. Visit atb.com slash the branch to find out how ATB's branch for arts and culture can support your career in the arts. Yeah. ATB is, of course, the uh, main sponsor of the Alberta Podcast Network. They give us power. We are very happy to be powered by them, and uh, we appreciate their ongoing support. So, I mean, if you're looking for a new bank, maybe go check them out. Yeah. They might be the bank for you. Um, you can also check out a plethora of podcasts on the <laughs> Alberta Podcast Network website. Oh, so many. Um those podcasts are also generously hosted on the CKUA app. Yes, available where fine apps are available. Yeah, and uh, definitely there's something there for you. I can almost guarantee it. There's so many podcasts now, and, and it, with such a variety, you'll find something. You'll find something. Yeah. You'll and find on, several things. And on that note, I mean, there are so many podcasts now, and the fact that you have decided to share some of your time with us... Uh, and uh, join our little mini book club for your ears and read along with us. I mean, we're we're grateful for that. That's, we appreciate you. That's really nice. Thanks and, for listening. I mean, we love we love doing this. We love that there are people who are enjoying it, and um, we're we're grateful for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you want to reach out to us, you can do so using social media. Yes, the standard collection that I prattle off every episode. See if I can remember them all. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Goodreads. Yeah, we're at the read-along at pretty much all of the above. Yeah. If you want a longer ramble, uh, you can send us an email. Yeah, the readalong at gmail.com. Scott still promises to check it. I do, regularly. Yeah. And uh, with that said, as always, we'll see you next time. For Bumbling Antics. Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. All Read Along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on Goodreads.com. Goodreads.com.